Hello and welcome to the Essential Adventure Sport Podcast, where our aim is to shed some light on the world of adventure sports, be that top tips and best practice for coaches, leaders or guides, inspiring expeditions, or just a chat with one of the many interesting people who work and play in the outdoors. We really welcome interactions and discussions. So if you have an idea of a subject you'd like covering, or you'd like to contribute to the show itself, then please drop us a message. It's time to sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to episode eight of the Essential Adventure Sport Podcast. This week, we're joined by Chris Easterbrook. Chris is a highly qualified coach across multiple paddle sport disciplines. And in addition to this, he's also working towards completing his professional doctorate in elite performance. So good evening, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good, good evening. It's, a, it's an honor to be here with you guys. Great. Well, I, I probably didn't do you justice in that little introduction there. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about your kind of coaching experiences to date, Chris? No, I, I think the, the succinctness made it sound like I was more, more, more to offer than I may, may have. But I'll let the listeners decide that, perhaps. But no, I, I, I live in North Wales. I, um, I, I really love paddling. Like I just really like being on the water, um, and I really enjoy coaching. So I, I left university and I and I ran my own business and taught taught whitewater kayaking primarily around Europe, and then I uh, moved into teaching undergraduates um on a on a you know one of the one of the um outdoor leadership degrees and now i work as a secondary school teacher teaching outdoor learning which i absolutely love i think it's fantastic that sounds amazing have you noticed have you noticed much difference between those kind of educational settings that you've been working in yeah well i i um i i mean i would consider myself now an, an educator rather than a coach and so i I would have start, you know, started off teaching whitewater kayaking as a coach. And I took a lot of pride in considering myself a coach and not an instructor then. And now I take a lot of pride in considering myself an educator um, over a coach. Not necessarily that one's better than the other, but just my focus these days is on um, educative themes rather than on aspects of performance. That, that seems to come secondary to me working with both the undergraduates and with the students it doesn't really matter how well they paddle or climb it's it's what we what we gain from it beyond that that is a value to them rather than you know when we were teaching kayaking um you know before that you know there was lots of other things going on and it's like the other side of the same coin but essentially people want to be better they want to have more fun and, and go on adventures and, and have a bit more skill a bit more skillfully so did you notice that most of your, you know, going back to when you were, you classed yourself as a coach, did you notice that most of that was, like you say, performance related? How do you differentiate between those, you know, performance mm. and the other? Well, I, I mean, I guess I, I think of it as, as two sides of the same coin. When, when people presented for, present for coaching, and I, and I still do a fair bit of it, they want, they want, um, you know, they, they have their own learning outcomes. They, they've come with a goal in mind. I, I'd like to be able to do this. I want to be better at that. And what I tend to find, what I found was that to, to, to address that, it was rarely, it was rarely refining their bow rudder or their, you know, inside edge turns or whatever. It was really something else, more educative themes that required attention, like their ability to make sense of novel situations or um, just con people having the confidence to go out and do it on their own 
and of course as an educator it's, it's just flipping that over we want to build people's self-esteem or their ability to learn that is then transferable and we use aspects of teaching performance to to get that that makes sense i mean it's an ever growing area isn't it people um, pe- people s- still want to be coached um, and there's, you know, there's a, there's a big body of people out there who want to, who want to be involved in that side of things. And um, I read an article that you published recently um, about why people seek out adventure sport coaching. I'd be keen to explore a little bit about mm. your findings from that, if possible. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so it kind of, I guess the, the first thing to I would want to share about that really is it stems from the desire to undertake that little bit of research and, and then find out what people wanted want from their coaching courses, you know, is, is to see if what I experienced when I was running courses and the people that presented and, and, and what they want to see if that was true of, of more than just the people that I would, I would teach. So it seems pretty reasonable to me that people would, um, would buy into the, you know, the Chris Easterbrook way of coaching or the, you know, the, the Nick or, you know, um, way of coaching and, but, and they would be, they would want a certain type of thing. So what I wanted to see was whether those aspects of the broader development that goes alongside coaching were true of more people, whether it was just something that I had like built a niche out of. So I, I basically found a bunch of clients and I, and I use the word clients in that article and it's a really imprecise term. It, It really bothers me. Um, so if you do read the article, it uses the word clients, but it, just think of it as students. But I won't. The, the detail there is so boring and academic. It, I don't. It's just not worth getting into. But the people that we teach learners, I wanted to find out what they wanted from their from their coaching. What makes a, a week long, um, you know, a week out of people's busy time? What makes it value for them? Um, and I asked them. I just sat down and chatted to them for you know half an hour 40 minutes and asked them a bunch of questions and then did some did some analyzing of that information and i found that people generally wanted three things from their coaching experience they they wanted to be better than they were before um and and i use better in a really imprecise way because better is in the eye of the beholder you know um better may mean completely different things to different people um but they wanted to be better um they also wanted their coaching to be authentic and what i mean by that is that um and and rock climbing is a really good example but if i want to learn how to climb outdoors um part of the coaching experience is to go outside and and that would be true of perhaps whitewater kayaker going to um cardiff whitewater center um as a coach you know that potentially the best way of making well not making but helping that person progress and get better is to go to a you know a easily managed environment where you can take time out have a coffee come back run some really structured organized technical input sessions um and that would make them better in their eyes but that wouldn't be an authentic experience if they wanted to then, if their goal was to go and paddle the dart with their club in a more skillful manner. So that they wanted to be better. They wanted the coaching to feel authentic to them. And, and I guess authentic is another really interesting term because um, 
authenticity is in the eye of the holder as well. And then the, the third aspect of coaching, um, which I, I've labeled as holistic, which kind of incorporates all the other things. And, and, and there are aspects of commodification and commercialization in that. So things like, um, you know, um, being taken to the right ice cream shop. You know, so, oh, actually, here's a good example. So if I get off at Church Bay, so on Anglesey, if we go out to Scaries, you know, with the clients, there's, there's one aspect they might enjoy is coming back for hot scones in Church Bay because that is the sea kayaker thing to do. That is part of the culture. So this holistic aspect of the coaching is almost, in part, is like an in, induction into the culture of the sport. So like grabbing a coffee at um, Eric's Caf. Uh, you know, down at Traumatic or or Pete's Eats or, or I mean, I'd, I'm struggling with the climbing ones because I'm not really much of a climber. But you, you can kind of catch my drift. There's this, there's these all the other things about our sport, about adventure that's quite special, and a small part of the coaching experience is is including those bits. You know, people are taking maybe five days out of their their lives to go on a coaching course, and some part of it, you know it's okay for part of it to feel like a holiday. So they want to get better. That coaching needs to feel authentic and it, it should be, you know, enjoyable, have pleasurable aspects to it rather than just being drilled in the rain or something. I, another word that, that jumped out at me from that particular article was the, the, um, the individualization of, of what's going on. How, how important was, is that part in, in coaching that, that we individualize to our clients, students, learners? It, I think it's hugely important for adventure sport coaches. And I think it's, it's actually more what we mean by individualization in adventure sports kind of extends beyond what is traditionally meant by individualization from perhaps other sports or, or, or teaching and differentiation perhaps in teaching. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, if you're if you're playing football, you know, a, a quality coach will will individualise when appropriate their teaching, um, perhaps in in terms of like micro goal setting or um, um, the, the you know the pace or type of feedback they receive or uh, the way information is presented. You know, normal kind of things. But for adventure sports coaches, we we've got a whole level of individualization that, that comes even before we start actually teaching people so with the football analogy just a minute ago when everyone goes for football coaching like everybody knows the rules of football um, like they are they are held internationally so if you if you're looking for top level football coaching everybody knows the rules everyone's already like on the first step what's really critical with adventure sports is that um what is adventurous for me might be different for someone else and similarly what is adventurous for me on one day in one context might be completely different um another day so as coaches we have learners that present with their own individualized rule book on what makes um their adventure like an adventure like what makes adventure adventure for them and as a coach we have to understand what that is before we even start teaching them um so i, I can give you a, a, an example perhaps but if you if a uh, you know if someone's taking oh, an alpine guide let's say you know it, it if you want to 
if your time is precious, you want to hire a guide to take you up a mountain, that can still be a guide is still an adventure sports coach because it's um, having to teach them certain aspects of the skill to perform and follow and, and, and climb and tie and belay and, and all sorts of, you know, skills they do need to get right. But if I want to seek coaching in that environment to then do it myself um, or to retain that information for a little bit longer, the way that guide and coach is going to teach that will be different. So, you know, the first one tie in, you know, a knot looks like this, repeat it five times after me. Now you can do it. That, that skill retention might be a day, but that might be more than enough. But if I'm going to be taught to do something for a month, a year or a 10 year, 10 years down the line, it probably won't look like a block of the same practice. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what that will look like, but it won't, it probably will look more complicated than that. Yeah. I think sometimes you've got to, like you say, in that guiding situation, especially something like that where, where they can pick up some very isolated skills that are really important, but it's all about replication. And the environment is almost a little bit irrelevant because they can tie that knot no matter where they're at. Then um, it doesn't matter about that long-term retention like you were just talking about then. Mm. The chances are if they're doing it quite a bit and – um, and they get those multiple exposures to it, then it will lead to some more long-term uh, retention for them. Um, Nick, just to, to bring you in here, um, those three themes that um, Chris talked about a moment ago, so uh, when people when people look to, to do a, a day or a, um, commonly a week with you, um, do you notice that they come for those three themes? So they're trying to improve and get better, and they're looking for that, authentic experience and to be part of a community is that something that that you recognize with your clients students yeah i would concur um and it's an interesting uh semantic discussion to decide what words we're going to use to describe the people that we go paddling with uh i i share your misgivings chris i'm hesitant to describe the people i paddle with as clients although i often use that word because many of them i get to know quite well and uh, I noticed I was using the phrase client friend the other day. And I thought, that sounds awful. It sounds like a terribly professional transaction that I've just engaged in. And uh, I'm now selling friendship. Um, but um, the reality is that uh, I can't do my job as a coach unless I've got a, uh, a, an open and honest and, and high quality relationship with the people that I spend on the water. It's kind of hard to achieve when you first meet people, but uh, as you well know, Matt, we we um, in one area of our working life we we get to we get to know our clients quite well, and um, the the boundaries get a bit blurred, and they become they become friends of ours. Um, but anyway, that's not really the question you asked me, so I'll have a go at answering it. Um, yeah, many of the people I get to meet, they're already paddlers. They already identify uh, as sea kayakers. And the, the authenticity of the experience is frequently rooted in their choice to come to North Wales. Um, there are many great places you can go paddling in the UK. Uh, and Anglesey is one of them. And a lot of people come to this, this, this island because of the, the, the immediate access to dynamic water. And I think their, their view of the authenticity of their sport is rooted in the types of conditions we encounter. Um, 
they definitely come to get better although the way in which we would understand that can 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 vary between uh between people and from day to day i can't remember chris if you used a specific word to describe that um but my clients are certainly motivated by uh, a sense of improvement and development um and the holistic aspect of it the cultural elements of the sport goodness me um well as we all know there there's a, a wonderful accommodation base on the west coast of anglesey called anglesey outdoors that is perhaps the uh the primo accommodation site for for sea kayakers who visit anglesey and there are some recognizable reasons why people go there they can they can meet their fellow enthusiasts they can discuss their day in the bar afterwards and they can soak up the atmosphere of decades of paddlers that have come through the place um we do visit some familiar coffee shops and uh it wasn't scones at church bay yesterday chris but it was ice creams so i think that qualifies it, it's potentially a bit hot for for hot scones yeah. but the scones there are out of this world there was only one show in town yesterday and uh, it wasn't yeah. the scones i was going to um i was going to pick up on a on a couple of things that um nicky mentioned and i thought it was worth just adding slightly to it if you don't mind um when you say you know you get to know your clients the the thing that i would add is that when when you're you know i would surmise that when you're chatting to them what you what you without necessarily putting it in these labels what you're trying to find out is what what they're going to do after the coaching as in as in how does the coaching fit into their their participation and that that gives away aspects of what makes things adventurous for them you know so they um and, and this relates you know i can see this in my white water coaching career a lot but you would get people that um that would you know come to be better on on an intermediate type environment but would want some coaching in advanced environments to see what it looks like to get some confidence in, in that kind of sort of grade but also to kind of go there and if you know what they're planning on doing afterwards you gain a handle on what their rule book for participation is you get a handle on what what makes an adventure fun for them you know and there's this there's this great there's this really sensible great online community for whitewater paddlers in the uk called slightly whitewater and and the thing that makes me realistic about that group is they seem to have nailed they seem to have figured out what it is they like about kayaking you know and and then and then actually that takes all the pressure off aspects of performance so if you know why you enjoy paddling um, and or whatever the reason is then then your focus is on what you like not on what you can't do or what you're trying to desperately become better at so you know if if actually you want to be better to you want to have more confidence to participate in club trips because you recognize that with a bunch that have common interests is a pleasurable thing to do it then all of a sudden doesn't matter if you swim once or twice in a day these days with a dry suit on like it just doesn't doesn't matter um but if their participation is framed like oh my god i have to like nail every single rapid because because that's how i get judged then then there's already a misalignment between why they are should be kayaking or what they enjoy about kayaking 
and then what we're trying to teach them and so so my suggestion i would reckon because this is why you know reckon i do but you you know when you're chatting to them getting to know your clients you're trying to figure out what makes things adventurous for them and then that helps you figure out well, what is it i'm actually going to do in this coaching session with them you know what are we going to try and figure out together and is it and that getting better and i and i i use I use better in a really imprecise way because better could also just mean it could mean more technical. It could mean more confident. It could mean more independence. It, it, it's totally for us to figure out. And of course, if I go back to my football analogy, it, when you want to get better at football, generally it's about winning. So, so not only are the rules commonly held between everybody, what you're aiming for is also pretty commonly, you know, held like, you know, I, I totally recognise that you might one might play five-a-side football in the evenings because it's a good laugh and you go for a beer afterwards. That totally makes sense. But there's still an aspect of competition and winning that I imagine that people would value, you know. But we've still got to figure out what it is that makes people want to seek coaching based on their reasons for participation. Yes, yes. I, I've been distracted by your analogy, Chris, and I'm I'm casting my mind back to the days when uh, Matt and I uh, not only played in but perhaps ran a five-a-side football team, and uh, we didn't always <laughs> win, but I'd like to think we played the beautiful game pretty well. Um, and and in, uh, uh, now that I've said that, I do recall that we beat. Nan Paris out their education center pretty comprehensively. So I guess it was about the performance in a way. And, and it was a different world to the, the outdoor adventure sports that we, we were enjoying. Um, I, I was reflecting on, on my week thus far while you, were, um, while you were asking that question. And I, yeah, I, I find myself thinking, um, this week in particular, we, we, we've encountered a new experience. Um, a couple of my clients uh, had um, arrived with the expressed intention of having a great week on Anglesey, a place they didn't know very well, uh, perhaps visiting some of the, uh, the more wonderful corners of the island. And really, the, the goals were, were, uh, are um, to simply have a, a wonderful break. Um, they're active paddlers and they're pretty good. And yesterday we headed out as a team towards the Skerries, uh, which we safely arrived at. Uh, and en route, um, I, uh, I spoke to one of my group members about the experience and she turned to me and she said, I've never done this before. Uh, I said, what, like you've never been to the Skerries? And she said, no, no, I've never turned away from the shore and paddled towards the distant horizon. But I've always followed the coastline. And this is the first time I've ever done this. Oh, that's interesting. Well, um, we're about halfway now, so I think we'd better carry on. And uh, we made it. We had a great time. We played in the small tide race at the end of the island. And um, there were some lovely surfs. And there was a swim, which didn't matter to anybody because we had the chance to do a, a one-household rescue. And um, at the end of the day, when we reflected on our experiences, um, the, the, the theme that, um, my, that my particular client expressed was, was what a remarkably revealing adventure it had been to, 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 to head for the open ocean and to cross to a distant island, something that 
she and her partner hadn't imagined they would do in their in their sea kayaking uh, experience. And we stumbled across, I suppose, the opening of 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 the sport for them, or rather, the, the creating a greater sense of what sea kayaking could involve. Because they're from the southwest of England, we inevitably started talking about Lundy Island, and I've got a feeling they're going to send me a photo from that place one of these days. So a happy chance, moment of serendipity, um, we, we created a new type of, of authenticity. I think both yourself and Chris, have, you've mentioned that same, same word that seems to crop up an awful lot in these conversations we've been having about, about having a conversation with the people that, that are taking part and, and, you know, regularly checking in and finding out um, if, if their goal or their aim at the start of the day or the week is one thing, allowing that aim or goal to evolve over the course of the day or the week is, is something that, that, that we're able to do. I think we, um, we run quite a few events. In fact, we've run, run one just this weekend where we get people who, who come in and they sign up to do a, a workshop or a session and it, it's got a name to it, whatever that may be. And <clears throat> I've had some experiences this weekend where, and they've signed up to do one thing. We've had the conversation and we go, right, that's what we're doing. But then over the course of the day, it turns out that they enjoy one particular aspect over the other. So I did a, a journey that we shared a group on, um, on Sunday and you took your, your four and did something. And I took my four and did something. And we, we had this plan of, of having this skills journey. And it, it actually turned out that we didn't really do many skills as such. It was, it became more about them just exploring an area that they'd never, they'd never been to before at, at varying points in the journey towards the stacks. Someone would say, Oh, this is the furthest I've been. This is the furthest I've been. And, and for all of them, there became a point where it was a, it, it was a new place. Um, and they'd never been there before. And it was, they were getting a brand new experience. So um, I think it's great when they have that, that when, we can allow those moments to happen rather than restricting and saying, actually, we're doing skills, so we're staying here, we're staying here. Giving them that freedom if conditions allow to, to just like your, your guys have done this week, have a new experience, which might then inspire them to do something else in the future. So, yeah, that's it's really interesting stuff. Um, Chris, um, across the course of maybe the last three or four podcasts that we've done um there's been a there's been a reoccurring word that's that that's come up uh, and it's that of, of independence and um we've talked about it very briefly across those previous podcasts but um the idea that we as coaches or people out there as coaches are one aiming to become redundant and I know we had a we had a chat about that phrase whether we like it or not um but the idea of making the, the students that we work with independent and, and I'd be keen to to find out because I know this is an area that that you're putting quite a bit of focus into so I'd be keen to find out some information about whether the students themselves have this motivation to become independent um or whether it's the goal of the coach to to make their students independent um so there's two there's two areas there so you know pick pick something and give us an answer <laughs> yeah 
Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some literature around that has been around for a while that suggests that coaches, you know, want to make themselves, you know, redundant. Um, and uh, that that seems to make sense to me. Part 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 of the article that you you, you referenced before, um, part of the developmental experience, which we've been referring to as being better, is is about becoming more independent. And so I guess it's a good point time to point out the title of my thesis is developing the independent adventurer. So the, the, the question, the question that you're asking is the one that I've asked myself for the last kind of 15 years, you know, is that, is that, is what I'm teaching really what people want, you know, or am I just trying to project what my idea of adventure is onto them? So, so this, this, it neatly ties into what we're talking about before, but do first, you know, the first thing in my mind is, do we actually have a shared view of adventure as in, am I comfortable in what makes an adventure for me as the coach um, clear so that if someone presents with a different idea of adventure, am I happy to say, Oh, that sounds great. Let's make that happen rather than saying, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Do it like I do it. And I, you know, this, this is what, this is what kayaking should look like. It's all about X, whatever X is, you know, so uh, there's got to be this, this shared kind of, kind of platform. And yeah, the, the question is tricky, isn't it? Like, do people want it? But so I devised the, the article that you've, that you've um, referenced to, to try and determine if clients, you know, if learners, people that wanted sort coaching actually wanted that thing. And, um, what's great about the article is that it, it, it did find that people, people, you know, people that seek coaching do want independence. I've made a meal of saying that, but essentially it, it is put, so what I mean is, what is great is it's put into context. It's saying that people do want to be independent, but, it, but within being made a bit better while it being authentic and having the holistic experience that they've sought. So it is not the be all and end all you know and and i think it's it probably has more it's probably more important to coaches than it might be to to um learners you know it's quite a it's quite a well known philosophy of high level coaches to 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 generate independence and there's a little bit of um there's a little bit of difference in the literature between what's actually meant by that so I also try to, I've also done a bit of work to work out what, what we mean by independence. Well, what we mean by independent adventure. So if someone is seeking an independent adventure, what, what do we actually, what do we actually mean by that? And there's kind of two, two parts to this. The first is um, what makes something adventurous. Uh, and that is essentially a personalized construct of three things. Um, some aspect of challenge um, some social interaction and some sort of connection with the natural world and how you mix those three things up is up to the individual on any given day and 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 that's that's fine and the other thing that makes it independent is is in many ways the degree of decision making the the participant has over their participation so if, if I'm the coach and I give them no scope to make decisions, they probably don't feel very independent. Whereas if I'm, 
you know, leading from behind, let's say, and giving them lots of scope to, to feel things out. They probably feel a bit more um, independent. Uh, and part of that independence is their decision-making, so the degree in which they're making decisions. There's an, an independence in the, um, their ability to learn. So if they can start to make things... So we're talking about primarily teaching adults as well. That's probably worth clarifying as well. But um, part of that independence is being able to learn from novel experiences. You know, it's, it's obviously quite um, disempowering if you, have a, if you cross an eddy line and have absolutely no idea, you know, let's say you capsize and having absolutely no idea what happened. That's a pretty like, like, like dependent situation to be in. You have to go back to your coach and go, whoa, like, I, you know, I just went upside down. What happened? You know, so there's aspects of being able to learn um, for yourself, being able to decide things for yourself and having the confidence to actually go, go and do something. So an independent adventure is the, like on one hand, the reasons you might participate in adventure. So the right combination of people, nature or natural environments and the right level of challenge and like the right level of decision making ability to learn and confidence to go to go do something and what makes life really confusing as a coach is that i mean it'll be obvious now i've said it out loud but like the level of like what makes something independent is individual as well so as coaches we're now stuck in this really complicated world where what makes something adventurous and authentic is individual what people might want to learn you know goals wise is in you know obviously um individual and then what makes independence is individual so we have you know we have so much to chat about when we meet our learners before we can really start being effective coaches i mean you sure you could teach them something like oh yeah, yeah I'll, I'll catch up with you you know we'll find the details of your participation later but i'm going to teach you this really cool thing that i know how to do which is you know a cross deck barrel rudder hand change you know and and yeah sure they'll learn something but to be effective coaching it has to fit with all of those other things that are really complicated like why is it so hard like you know it's just there's lots going on isn't there uh, there's there's loads going on and on that same theme I've got loads of questions here so so I need to backtrack a little bit to the very start when you when you started passionately talking about your subject area um so it's great i'm loving it um so one of the things you said was at the start being being aligned with what you as the coach think is adventure and what the participant thinks is adventure and then i can't remember the exact word you used but it was to do with you um allowing them to have the um their experience um, even if it doesn't match what you think that is. C can you unpack that a little bit more? Is that Yeah, I mean, so I can give you an example for myself, right? So um, I really enjoy whitewater kayaking. I really enjoy canoeing and I really enjoy sea kayaking. But I, uh, I, one of the things I enjoy about canoeing is um, I like being more in touch with the natural environment. So I if I go canoeing, like what makes a canoeing trip is, you know, seeing a kingfisher or some other type of type of animal, you know, um, and that, that, and, and then I have a different reason why one of the reasons I enjoy sea kayaking is different. And one of the reasons I enjoy whitewater is kayaking is different, but 
when we go canoeing, that doesn't mean that everybody that comes to learn canoeing with me wants to see kingfishers. They might be really interested in, you know, um, you know, and, and I'm really interested in this. This is not derogatory, but like getting the Kelly kettle out, you know, making a tarp, like I, you know, and I do that all the time with the kids. So I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but you know, like that for some people, the, particularly in canoe, canoe is just a vehicle to get somewhere. And it might be to find some really idyllic bit of, of granite sticking out of the water where you can make a little fire in a camp and, and really just kind of chill. So if someone presents for coaching and they want to be better at canoeing, and I, you know, I chat to them and I figure out, oh, okay, what, what is it about canoeing you enjoy? And, and what are you, you know, what, what are you thinking of doing next? Um, then I'm kind of nailing, you know, drilling down into some goals. Then, then I will go and grab a, you know, a Kelly kettle and a tarp out of my car to make sure I can participate in what they consider adventurous because then, then the coaching that I want to give to them aligns with their idea of adventure. You know, and it's not to say that I wouldn't point out a kingfisher when it came because I'm, you know, it would be great, but it doesn't mean it's the most important thing for them. Hmm. You know? And it means that if I'm paddling around and my, you know, my knife J isn't perfect, well, I don't, I don't mind because I'm looking for a kingfisher's guys. Like that's what I'm here to do. So I, I I've got a an, an experience very recently, maybe in the last ten days or so. I did a um did a day's one-to-one coaching sub sub coaching and we did a journey on the on on the river d um from farndon to chester that sort of you know really nice nothing much going on um and we agreed that the 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 day would involve us doing the journey and along the way we were looking at some leadership stuff all sorts of different things and um it was interesting that the perception of the person I was working with of what my idea of adventure was, was also different. And there was a couple of times that she said, Oh, you must be really bored that, you know, this is, this is, you know, the environment isn't what is not an exciting environment for you. And yet I had to reply to her honestly going, no, I'm I'm having a great time (laughs) because it's actually um, something a little bit out of the ordinary for me because I don't do that sort of stuff every single day. So the idea of being in that environment, and I got four kingfishers that day. She got none, so I was the I was the winner on that one. Um, but there was times when we we stopped and we kind of just sat on our boards and we were floating near the edge, and there was damselflies knocking, you know, knocking around the board and stuff. And and actually, um, I had a a really good day, even though it's a work day. I had a really good day. Um, and it, what was interesting was that there was a perception from her that I might find the environment boring um, just based on the conditions, but actually all those other things that came to play and the novelty of it and you know all those different things actually meant that um, I was having a great time. So I think sometimes it's not always uh, the way of the coach um, liking it rough and bumpy all the time compared to the to the student is it it it, it just depends on like you say discipline to discipline or environment to environment country to country possibly as well yeah i mean there's 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 loads of there's loads of good literature good stories loads of blogs loads of you know academic articles that just remind people that the you know the reason we go on adventures is isn't you know challenges there are appropriate challenges part of it but there's so much more to it 
like the connection with our friends, you know, um, or or being immersed in in natural settings, mm. you know, and actually the you know the level of challenge can drop right off, and you can still have, you know, an adventure sport type day, you know, um, on flat water while you're the challenge then becomes looking for the kingfishers, you know, or, um, um, you know, whatever else you might be looking for or, or catching up with friends that you haven't seen for a while and you go for a paddle to talk. You know, I, I live in Clangloughlin here. I'm right on the D and you know, more often than not, I'll, I'll catch up with somebody by going for a paddle. You know, it's a shared activity, you know, um, a real closeness. There's a bond, you know, and there's loads of, there's loads of good stories in literature about, you know, that is not just common to me, you know, that's unique to me. That's like a common thing. So I think a learner's definitely, um, yeah, you know, like build, you know, we want to build this like alignment between what, what it is we're trying to do, you know, what, what it is we enjoy and that induction into the into the culture is about more about, it's not really about as hard as you can, you know, it's about the people that you're with or about the nature, you know, there's all this balance between what we're trying to achieve. And I guess the way we, we, we manage, you know, one of those elements that you talked about um, with the challenge area, I guess how we manage that challenge that they're looking for becomes quite an important task for us, doesn't it? Um, And if I can bring you in here, Nick, um, do you have experiences or have you, have you had experiences of having to, to, manage the challenge level um at both ends so somebody who comes in and you become aware that they um they may benefit from challenge so you can you can up it and i guess the the tougher one to deal with is if people come in and they what they what they want is beyond them at that moment and then you having to kind of rein it back have you got any kind of experiences of 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 those two things uh, sure. Yeah, and it, and it it's um, it can be really satisfying to um, as a coach to be involved with both the examples you've just given. Um, I I get to paddle with a lot of uh, clients who are seeking to extend their comfort zones to move into conditions that they're not sure um, uh, are within their ability, or indeed sometimes. Um, conditions that they've previously encountered and felt uncomfortable in and uh, you know this wouldn't be a decent podcast series if we didn't introduce a bit of controversy so um, I do occasionally uh, find myself working with clients who've had negative experiences in the past um, occasionally but rarely on previous courses sometimes but not often um, when they've been out with friends or club paddlers and occasionally if they've visited other events um and sometimes people find themselves put into situations where their sense of autonomy their sense of um uh control over outcome is eroded by the actions of a very direct leadership or coaching style whereby they they they're not sure if they're ready to do it, but on, on that particular day, it becomes a negative experience for them because they feel their decision-making power wasn't um, what wasn't afforded. Um, and in those circumstances, um, I find it very helpful to um, to focus on 
the choices and options that my clients have and for them to to manage the exposure to increased challenge um do yeah i do get a lot of i do get a lot of clients who want to go into big conditions and um i sometimes find myself sitting on the edge of stuff that um makes me feel uncomfortable um not least because i i use my imagination to project into uh, the future and try to picture what kind of rescue I'm going to perform. Um, that, that can happen because um, many, many sea kayakers, and that's, that's the world I, I work in as a coach predominantly, um, many sea kayakers develop, develop pretty strong technical skills. Um, these days the kit's good, there's loads of information available on YouTube, and you can become a pretty good paddler. Um, which can take you into situations where awareness, environmental understanding and decision-making become really important and the ability to balance in your boat and roll secondary. And in those circumstances, I'm finding that I'm having to find solutions that are rooted in risk management, understanding of technical demands versus consequence. So both those areas can be satisfying, but the key is to recognize uh, what the motivations and the barriers to learning are within each of my students or clients. Yeah, I was thinking about, thinking about that a little bit, but there's, there's, I can think of, um, I mean, Whitewater is a really obvious example where people often present on, on courses. And of course, what they want to do is huck something huge, you know, and... Um, and there's a, there's, I think there's, a, there's definitely, I feel like a dilemma in there, you know, um, particularly working out in the Alps in some of the steeper environments, you know, all, all the, all the marketing photos are of, you know, said steeper, said steeper, you know, environments and, and, you know, and, and while everyone's, you know, really friendly and like, yeah, yeah whatever you think, Chris, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll follow your lead. And, and what do you think, you know, you're, you're also kind of aware that they're they're keen to do it, you know, and and I I find myself definitely and very consciously deciding, um, and being quite upfront with them when I'm taking independence away from them, and when I'm offering them independence. So, what what's interesting, and we've skipped ahead a few a few bits in some ways, but but having done this research, uh, I find myself coming back to my own practice, like what. You know, now I know a bunch of stuff. Does it actually make me any better as a coach? I think one of the aspects that I've considered is um, is being more open. Think, okay, well, we we can do. I can make you. I can give you enough instructions to make this waterfall, you know, this drop possible. And I can be at the bottom to pick up the pieces. Okay, and then I actually think I could also, whatever the outcome, facilitate some sort of like learning on it. And so the, the choice, you know, I mean, it's a classic choice, but it's like, do you run it or, or, or not? You know, well, well, here's, here's some basic instructions. You know, I only needs to work once, you know, follow me, do exactly what I do and it'll probably work out just fine. And I can, I can tell them and I can telegraph the line back to them in the way that I paddle and the moves that I make and, and choose a line. And, you know, of course there's a little bit of dice rolling in there, you know, but, but it can often work out. You know, and if you can, if you can get things, um, if you can be open with them, well, I'm going to take all that away from you, all that independence away from you to give you an experience. Is that what you're after? You know, and it might not be what they're after all the time, every day, but actually at moments, there's real benefit in that. 
you know so if they if they've gone to Italy and paddled this great waterfall and they've got the money shot you know not only have you given a bit of good value for money and you know maybe they'll book with you again they're actually quite likely to go back to you know um serpent's tail on the d or triple step on the dart and and well you know i i did that i did that big thing with with that coach but this thing that i know i'm no i've, I've got this and then, then they're you know they're better you know they, they are fulfilling their participation in a way that people they people wanted to so you know i spent a long time thinking okay well let's not do the hard stuff let's just build up to it kind of like slowly you know in a progressive step 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 kind of way um and in some ways i think that was um based on my own spanish control like what what i was happy what i was comfortable letting happen what i the scenario i was happily rescuing how quickly i could recognize it going wrong and intervene um, and now i feel you know reasonably comfortable as a coach there's there's quite a lot i'm willing to go with knowing that i can make sense out of it and, and it be of value if if i've chosen it for the right reasons for the right level of independence that fits with their notion of adventure so do you think that as um whether we call ourselves coaches or leaders or whatever it might be um do you think that as our personal experience level increases our um willingness to let people do things because we feel we're in a better position to like you said spot things or deal with them does that expand a little bit or yeah i mean i wouldn't i, I mean i would have thought it in a much broader sense than just that one example you know if you if you're a um you know if you're learning to coach you may only have one way of teaching a certain thing i mean that's that by definition is what a beginning like a learner coach means you you only have a couple of ways of doing one outcome you know, um so my only way of de de you know developing confidence is to um you know whole part whole we'll break it down build it up you know show, show the context build it down into pieces so there's like mastery of the little bits put it together and great and and that that makes perfect sense by almost definition an experienced you know good coach will have more than one way of dealing with all of those things and, and it's not that you dismiss the first example you know so you might go coaching and it might look exactly like an uh you know uh, a new coach but you've chosen it for the right reasons similarly you might choose to take them out onto something huge you know and i could you know i can think of some examples where i took people out on something huge and it was a terrible mistake you know i made a terrible mistake but there were times when i chose to do something quite sporty and it was a it felt like a bit of a roll of the dice but i you know, I thought about it and that had the same outcome But you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that as a, as a beginning coach. Cause you just wouldn't know that it would work or you wouldn't be able to pick up the pieces afterwards or, you know, there's only one route to each thing. We've had conversations in the past about, you know, the coach education scheme and, and, and the kind of the pros and cons for it. Where, where do you think things like that sit for you? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I progressed through the, the, the British canoeing awards, you know, I did, I did every step, you know, I, I followed the process and, um, and I, you know, I worked, I worked full time, you know, it was my full time job to, to teach people kayaking and I, and I definitely felt like there was a gap between what, you know, the one or two ways I need to do something <clears throat> and then what I needed to work in practice. And, and I, 
I, f- I feel like one of my motivations to do the, the my research, my, my, my doctorate work, is that it, adventure sports coaching really is so complicated um, that um, we should really check that the way we're doing it is the best way. You know, and I think teaching for independence has the potential to be part when you think about what could be the hardest part of the job people that want to do something authentic and be taught for independence at the same time is a real challenge you're, you're starting to sac- you know you're sacrificing things out of your week so you know i want to come to north wales i want to come to anglesey i want to go on a classic sea trip great that seems pretty reasonable thing to expect but if their if their goal is also to then be able to um go to lundy on their own then then you know, you might actually have to sacrifice quite a lot of time to discuss tidal planning, which actually, you know, probably isn't that authentic in terms of learning experiences, a classroom based, writing down, getting some vectors in there. I'm sure you guys have got some really creative ways of doing it, but you know, like in the whole, you're on the whole, the the ideas of like developing independence and having great experiences and induction to the cultures are quite opposite ends of the, the spectrum in some ways. You know, you, you, you're they're really tricky and I, and I part of my motivation to trying to, to tackle this question you know how do we develop independence is that it is quite hard and if we if we can kind of get some handle on what it is that good coaches are doing then then that only helps and inform coach education and, and my I kind of I can't help but be influenced by teaching at the moment and um there's, a, you know, there's, a, there's a quite a lot of conversation in teaching about the difference between teacher training and teacher education. So how can you train someone to work in a job for their life, like for lifelong learnings? How are they going to be continually improving? How are they going to have people going to figure out how to make sense of online learning in a new, you know, in the last six months, we've all had to figure this kind of stuff out. Um, rather than a training program, which tells you how to run a lesson, you know, and then they're, there's, there's, there's huge differences between there, and it's not that you need, you know, one or the other, but you, you kind of need both. You need to know how to structure a session so you can actually teach people the nuts and bolts of how to go paddling, but you also somewhere along the way, you know, need to know how to make sense of novel environments or, or how, how confidence works. So if you have a swim, it's not the end of the world, you know, or, um, what what processes people use to make decisions you know and i, and I think at the moment we there's a, t- there's a yeah we think about coach education as a, as an educative task rather than as a um training program yeah no no and it's it's spot the, and i don't know which way to ask these questions now because um i don't know if there is a right way to ask the next two questions that i've just thought of but um i guess i'll go with this one first can do you think both of you think that um, participants, people who are involved in all these different adventure sports, can they can they go out and can they learn and develop their own independence away from a coaching environment? Is that something that that can happen? Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm going to take off my coaching hat. I'm going to um, reflect on. Uh, my experiences of, of, of gaining, uh, of, of, of 
gaining gaining progress towards some goals. I, let's even call them dreams that I had um, that were self-organized and in the absence of, of, of a professional coach. Um, I, in my early adult life, I worked as a ski instructor and um, I... My, my horizons were confined by the boundaries of the ski resorts in which I worked. I knew nothing about the mountain environment. So after a number of seasons, I was, uh, from a technical point of view, I was a pretty good skier, um, but I didn't know what lay beyond the rope. And uh, then life changed for me. I came to live in North Wales and 10 years passed and I finally returned to skiing when I felt I could afford it. And um, my my motivations had, had, had shifted somewhat then because I'd, I'd learned a little bit about the mountain environment of Snowdonia. I'd had my first rock climbing experiences and I'd gone off to the French Alps in the summer to uh, climb by some extremely easy uh, routes, one or two of the major peaks. Um, so when I got back into skiing, because I'd um, been um, introduced at an early uh, stage to the um the heroes of extreme skiing i had a very good idea of what had taken place in the uh in the latter decades of the 20th century and i i just had this 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 dream that I, if i could just ski one of those routes you know wouldn't that just be a a wonderful experience in my life and i didn't really know how to to make progress with that goal the one thing i knew i wasn't going to do was pay the hundreds of pounds per day required to commission a guide to take me down uh, my dream route. That, that option wasn't available to me. Um, so I, I just embarked on a regular goal setting process. I, I, I knew enough about coaching to know that I could in, to some extent be my own coach. And I did the old classic TTPP, you know, where are my technical skills? How much do I know about the environment? Do I have the fitness to do this? How am I going to react when I'm in that environment? What are my psychological skills like? And I identified a bunch of weaknesses and I figured out ways in which I could develop those skills while I was still in North Wales. Um, I then decided that I would, I would embark on this process and I took myself off to Chamonix and scoured the guidebook for, for something I could start with. And it all went from there. Um, uh, I'm still here to tell the tale. I had a lot of adventures along the way. Um, and I learned from my mistakes as well. Um, some outdoor environments are pretty harsh and don't permit the, the worst of errors. Uh, but I guess I either made some good decisions or I was quite lucky. And the only purpose of this, this anecdote is that I have a a firm belief that then feeds into my professional coaching life that anybody anywhere can get to where they want to be without without the necessity to engage in a coaching relationship having said that you can speed up the process you can achieve more and you can arguably be safer while you do it if you on occasions uh, engage the services of a, of a good coach. Um, I think that, that, that guides me in my coaching life because I meet lots and lots of sea kayakers who want 
to move forwards in their progress and I can't go with them. So I've got to help them to understand what they can do for themselves, which is often all of it, and what they might benefit from if they want to accelerate the process and, and have a decent margin for safety by getting some coaching in, uh, into that mix. Do you, do you think then that, because that's a great example of you going away and, and um, generating your own experiences, which would lead towards independence. Do you think that was supported massively by your confidence in your technical skills and your you know your ability to to put yourself where you wanted to be and and not fall over you know if I was to go and and take on the same goal not that I necessarily would but if I was um it would be a different story for me because my my technical skills are only a touch lower than yours um but it just makes me think whether whether um that was a real supporting factor for you in being able to do that on your own. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, uh, it's worth acknowledging that you and I have spent a week together in Chamonix and your relative lack of technical skills didn't really stop me from exposing you to risk. Um, but let's draw a veil over that and just acknowledge that I, I don't and never should operate as a professional marine guide. Um, uh, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> no, just, you, you, you know, you... you everything you said really made sense and I like that you you know you're transferring that into your into your coaching um and I was I was minded to think that you had you were able to do that in part because of your previous skiing experience that you talked of when you were younger and you you brought in some technical skills which give you a solid base yeah 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 yeah, I'll tell you, I'll just really kind of just quickly answer that one. Um, it, it was a huge advantage to me, um, but it was a double-edged sword. Uh, I felt very secure with my skis on my feet in situations that mattered, but that sense of security took me into places where errors weren't going to be very easily forgiven. And I had a relative lack of tactical decision-making because I was unfamiliar to an extent with a complex glacial environment. And on one occasion, I had the chance to reflect on that while I was um, lying inside a crevasse. It wasn't my technical skills that had put me there. It was poor decision-making. Um, so you've got to be careful with being a strong, uh, a strong technical skier or a strong technical paddler. And I could find examples in sea kayaking of how that experience can occur to you but i think chris wants to jump in well i was i was gonna i was gonna contrast con, con, contrast my because i was listening to you nick and i was thinking huh yeah the the thing that's allowed that is um you obviously have a really good handle on how learning works and this might be the difference between you know the, the coach listening and going, oh yeah the technical skills have given you the ability to to venture out and i and the educator here think of me thinking oh well actually because you're a coach educator yourself, you have a really good handle on how learning works. So you have a structure to apply to that you can then build up to. And you know, you're right. Um, however, there are other factors at work that you're well aware of. So um, when I'm CCAT coaching on Anglesey, um, let's just agree, uh, I love being out there. You can't get a better office and it's a wonderful working environment. Um, as a coach, I'm relatively dispassionate about it. I, I, I love observing my students achieve gains in their paddling. But if conditions don't permit us to go to a particular place, I don't lose much sleep over it. Um, 
I was very driven to develop my skiing experience in a in a specific mountain environment, and you can't enter that world without a degree of commitment. But there's a trap there because it it, it engages emotional uh, elements of your brain that can get in the way of clear-sighted decision making. And on a, ham- a small handful of occasions, I found myself in. In, in difficulties which upon reflection were a consequence of me chasing my dreams yeah um so it's a tough one for anyone who engages in independent learning because if we go back to your whitewater coaching you'll go to just the most wonderfully inspiring locations with your paddlers some of these river trips you can take in europe and further afield are just the most spectacular things you can do and it could be that your students um, are so highly motivated to have that experience that they'll disregard or accept a higher level of risk than might be appropriate in that moment. I think our judgment gets clouded when we're highly emotive about something. Uh, and there's a role for a coach there, I think. Can I have a controversial moment? Is that, uh, is that allowed? Why we're here. Great. Well, well okay. I, uh, okay. All right. If people are listening this long, then then they're, they're allowed a little way bit of controversy. I think, okay, I think uh, je- uh, in a, in a in a broad way, okay, we have a huge preoccupation with safety in adventure sports. Adventure sports, when compared objectively to participation rates and the number of incidents, is not that risky. Um, and and I give you an, uh, but but what we are doing is comparing two different types of risk. So football and rugby are more risky than probably generally perceived now that concussion is better understood okay so so actually what's things that are things that are long established are probably a bit more risky than everyone is willing to admit hence things like young people being banned heading the ball for example when it goes wrong in adventure sports it tends to be pretty like fairly catastrophic you know like the it, it's it, the severity is much higher let's say you know broken limbs and, and shoulders and all sorts of things the, the moment of incident is quite severe but happens much less frequently so so I, i'm not suggesting that adventure sports is less risky it's just a different type of risk than other things but because we operate in a in a world that is perceived as quite risky you know um then I think we have a real preoccupation with, with safety. And that's why our understanding of things like traps and the sanctity of the experience and the halo effect are, are really, are really, you know, like, like mentioned on this podcast, it's not some niche bit of information. Um, you know, on advanced safety and rescue courses, I talk about heuristics and, and these kind of decision makings as a matter of course, because I think they're really good. So what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that our, we have a real preoccupation with safety. It is reasonably safe sport and um, we can probably afford certain certain moments of um, what feels like unsafe behavior but isn't necessarily risky or failure that has real value and, and I'm not suggesting that people get hurt it is at times for learning for independence where people get real value out of failure like not making it to the scaries um, 
could be a really valuable learning experience if it doesn't crush their confidence or their uh, you know their idea of independence i i i, I completely agree and um it takes me back to something you were describing at the start of the podcast regarding regarding independence and authenticity um if we own our own experiences and and we're responsible for all our decisions we we might in um in one sense achieve less than we might with the presence of an experienced coach or guide but the value of that achievement could be much higher to us i've had countless examples of that in mountain environments because most of my adventures have been independent i've i've if i could use the word achieved far less in rock climbing than i might have done if i'd uh, if i'd got myself into a community of more experienced climbers but i value every successful climb i've experienced because it's all my own if i uh, say so, um so we spent a lot of the podcast talking about the context for independence there was one one example the, the rock climbing example something that, that ties in really nicely from how coaches generate independence uh, and, and one of the things that um and, and kind of uh, have, have written down somewhere useful is that um coaches will often let co coaches like a belay so a climber will get to the top of a climb they'll make themselves a belay and um, probably before they bring their seconder up the coach will have a little bit of a look-see and what the coach will see in the first instant is what they would have done you know like what is the absolute optimum level of safety here like what what would i have done and then the coach then got to and then they look at look at what the client the learner has done and if it's different they've now got a real significant choice to, you know a really important choice to make do they call up the learner and go huh i wouldn't have done it like that give me those nuts and, and redo it for them um, and if you do it in a nice in a, in a professional way you have now given them um a mental like a like a mental model of what a perfect belay looks like in that environment so that's a really valuable learning you've gone this wasn't very safe or it wasn't optimum this is what optimum looks like similarly they could cast their eye over it and go it isn't what i would have done but it is safe and then um they might add a level of safety somehow as a backup to the whole system, but in a subtle way that um, doesn't undermine the level of independence. So we've got this idea um, that a coach can allow a suboptimal performance if it achieves other goals. So that could be a form of um, satisficing. Uh, we, we might not necessarily achieve yeah. the optimum uh set of decisions to achieve an outcome and from a coaching perspective we can weigh up whether the differences are significant enough to uh to organize a change or whether to put it another way that's good enough and 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 i guess the expert coach can tell what's good enough and what's not rather than the novice coach that has one way of doing it like you know it has to look like this for it to be safe and therefore, the, what we were talking about before, the more, the broader range of meaning can be made from a much broader ranges, range of experiences. Yeah. Um, but of course, the coach has to decide which is the most important in that scenario. And that's a, how you figure that out is the real question, isn't it? You know, like that's, that's the humdinger. If I, can, if I can, it's still part of this subject, but go back to your, um, when you alerted us to a controversial moment. Um, 
talking about the fact <laughs> that maybe we have this preoccupation with safety in comparison to some other sports that have a, a higher level of risk attached to them. So you, you talked about rugby, for example. Um, is one of the reasons why we have this preoccupation because of the responsibility um, that either we have or that it's perceived that we have over the people that we work with. So for example, when I used to coach rugby league, then I'd have people who'd get injured, but no one would ever look at me and go, well, that was, that was your fault as the coach. It was just accepted as a, a part of the game that that may happen. And, and, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a focus on me as the coach to go, well, that's a responsibility. Whereas when we have people that we're looking after, um, we have a worry that if something does happen, well, then the book kind of stops with us. And also the fact that there are far less incidents, far less incidents. When one does happen, everyone goes, Ooh, it, it's, there it is. Um, whereas you can look in A&E on a Saturday, a Sunday afternoon, at five o'clock and you'll see tons of people with broken ankles and fingers and dislocations and all sorts of stuff from sport. Um, but no one ever goes, Oh, well that's, you know, rugby's bad. Um, mm. but I mean, but you know, in that mode that they, you know, somebody has looked at all the cases of concussion and gone, huh, there's something going on here. And, and so, so somebody has done something with that example. But I, I think the other, the other interesting question, and I would be interested in the answer to the study is is our sport safer because we're preoccupied with safety or is it safe-ish and we're preoccupied with safety and, and the reason i say that is because um i see quite often or well, not quite often but at times safety is a reason not to do something you know um rather than it's not a sensible learning outcome do you see what i mean so you might you might easily and and you know the, the classic risk management is about um you know, your classic identify the hazard, you know, the risk, categorize the severity, the likelihood, and you come out with a control and a, and a number. But actually what, what we do as a coach is we go, we go and eventually what's because it's risky and it's a risk of, of failure. It's a risk of, of challenge might be too hard for us. So we, 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 we can't be, we can't be so strangled by safety that we forget why we go out. Like it is a different thing. And I think that, that point you make about concussion, out of all the examples from traditional sports, that's probably one where I, as the coach, if I'm in that environment, if I'm coaching rugby, for example, that's something where I do have a responsibility because something will have happened and then I've got to make a choice, especially at, at amateur sport, whether I allow that person to play again or say, actually, you know what? not only are you not playing now, but you're not playing, you know, if you look in professional sport, a, a concussion protocol could last, could last weeks. Whereas in amateur sport, I know I've, I've, you know, played rugby for many years and, and there's times when I've walked down the street and been physically sick after a game because I've had a bang to the head and, and then I'm back in, I'm back in training again next week and, and, and I'm playing again and I'm falling asleep at home. And you know, all these things that actually we look now and we go, they're massive red flags. Um, so I think something like that would be a good example of where we uh, have a responsibility 
And if we don't follow through on that, well, then, then there could be a consequence to that, maybe. Yeah, and I would suggest that, that safety isn't the only thing, you know, on, on that regard. Like um, the idea of um, we might be, we spend more time in, in wild environments. Um, um, we probably, you know, it is our office. So therefore the state, the nature of it, the state of it is probably quite important to us. So we also have a duty to role model, you know, like sound environmental behavior you know uh, and not only zero impact but actually trying to have a positive impact you know so it, it you know uh, with with the student with my with my um, young people it's not enough now for us it's not enough to have, leave no footprint we have to, everywhere we literally everywhere we go there is some some impact of humans you know it's you know i don't take them to like super wild places so the wildness that we go to like um well or something you know there's tons of tons of rubbish there so it's not enough just to you know role model safety or role model um you know sound environmental behavior we have to like you know go above and beyond does that make sense mm. yeah so yeah i think i think because it, because the consequences are so high and all the thing or potentially so high um that yeah, I think it does become a um, a really important thing, and actually, from a, an independence point of view, um, in fact, this weekend when we were working with groups this weekend, I, I can't remember it happening before, but when I had the conversation at the start of the day, you know, what what is it everyone's looking for today? Someone actually said to me, "I I want to be more independent." I can't remember when that's happened to me before, but they 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 stumped up at the start and they said those words, I want to be more independent because when I go away on club trips, um, I feel like I'm always, um, uh, what was the words that she used? I'm, um, I, I'm the one that needs looking after. So she, she felt a, a sense of, of when she's out in her club trips in her environments that um, she's always thinking, well, what, you know, what if something happens they're going to have to come and get me so what she wanted was that that feeling and that ability to go right i can operate there with those you know those other people within the club and i'm not i think she I think she might use the word hindrance which is totally you know not true but um that was her reason for it and it is the first time i think anyone's ever said i, I want to be independent yeah i mean I, I came to the word independence um, after quite a lot of thinking. So it took a long time for me to come to my research title. Um, and what I basically came from practice was this idea that um, I'd essentially taught confidence for, for a long time. Like I felt like the mainstay of my whitewater coaching career was, you know, kind of intermediate whitewater, but teaching confidence. People had the nuts and bolts of how to paddle. You know, they could edge the boat, they could make it, go forwards there was some you know there's always some improvement to offer but it was actually about um people having the confidence to to feel like they're not a hindrance or to feel like they're independent and that um and uh, the way my thesis ends i come back to the idea of what confidence means because confidence is also a really imprecise word um uh, and it, but it's also a way you, you can measure confidence. Like there are standardized tools for that kind of things. So There's a really interesting way of measuring. They're not the same, but you can kind of get an idea of how independent someone is by how confident they are, you know, and, and obviously too much confidence is a problem. Not enough doesn't get you anywhere. And there's like an optimum, 
kind of middle grounds and, and, a, and, and a growth through, um, through learning to a confidence where you can decide when to go and when not to go. You, you are confident if you make a mistake, you will learn from it and that's okay. You know, rather than like making a mistake and feeling like, you, you know, the world's, you know, it's just, it's over. Um, um, so yeah, I think confidence is, is, is kind of at the heart of, of what I've been spending a lot of time thinking about without necessarily a, like drilling into confidence per se. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense actually, but it is more than just, yeah, it's more than just confidence, but it, 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 it's everywhere really, isn't it? Yeah. And that, that might be the start of, of many different things. Cause it only takes a, um, a small step, whatever that looks like, but it only takes a small step in that confidence level to start. Hmm. Um, on the road towards becoming more independent, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, there's like a, we're like a threshold, you know, like there's a threshold level of confidence to go out on your own for the first time, maybe without the club leaders or without a coach. And um, of course, once you cross that threshold, you're, and, and you have a, you know, broadly positive experience, you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're flying, aren't you really? You're kind of making sense of things. You're learning um, you know where to get feedback from. You know how to interact with people. You understand the environment enough to make decisions and, and blah blah blah. You know all the thing, all the complexity that we've talked about kind of starts to fall together, doesn't it? Fit together. Yeah, and it's something I noticed that um, I tend to spend more time when I'm working with individuals or groups on those non-technical aspects. Most most people in kind of you know moderate or or advanced environments can actually get the boat from a to b and they can they can make their moves in some way or another but um i've said this before what i tend to notice is that um it comes back to those um those those tactical elements and those that decision making and all those things that are often the things that that catch people out not because they couldn't do a i don't know a sweep stroke or a bow rudder or whatever it might be that's that becomes a little bit irrelevant because if they'd have if they've made if they'd have made an appropriate choice then everything would have worked out fine probably i don't know but 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 i can probably hedge my bets and say that yeah if they if they timed it and they didn't go when it all was going crazy and they waited till it settled down they'd probably have a more successful outcome um or or they just follow on someone else goes through so we go all right well that's okay i can go through that gap in the rocks because the person in front went through but not paying any attention to to other aspects like their performance level their technical ability their decision making um we're not all the same are we so no no that that makes that makes total sense really um i i I, i'm loving all the stuff we're talking about chris but i i am also aware of the time as well um and it's fastly getting on and there's another kind of big subject area that I don't think we're going to get a chance to talk about tonight. Um, so maybe, maybe we need part two of this independence conversation because I think everything we've talked about why it's important is great. And it'd be really good to maybe have a, a part two where we say, all right, then how, <laughs> how are we going to go about doing that? Yeah. I, I think yeah, I mean, it was, it was. I, I, I feel like it, it is an important conversation to work out um, what role it has, and particularly in the, in, as it, you know, it doesn't feature too heavily in coach education, and, 
and the commercialization and commodification of adventure is a pretty interesting topic to get into as well. Uh, and of course, independence kind of weaves its way in between all of that as, as a mid-ground. So I think it really is it's important to kind of have a good grasp on, well, it, well, at least it was for me, you know, I mean, I, I felt like it wasn't enough. I, I felt like I probably could have, but it wasn't, it wasn't okay for me just to jump in with go, how do coaches generate independence? You know, I, it felt like on my PhD journey, it was important to go for what is it? Why do, do people even want it and why, you know, and, and before jumping into that. So I think it's valuable conversation, but potentially the more interesting part is how to do it. You know, how, what kind of strategies, what kind of ideas coaches use that, that do generate independence. And, and I, and I hinted at this before, but of course, if you know, if you know the kind of strategies that, um, that do work for independence, um, then you know, when you're not teaching for independence, the ones that are quite time intensive, you don't need to bother with. You can go with much simpler techniques that will probably do the job just as easily. And I think um, you start building up the, the knowledge that allows for a real um, sophisticated coaching practice. You can choose the right thing at the right time for the right person in the right context. Okay, let's agree then that this is officially part one and we'll put it in the we'll put it on the title so then it forces us to have a part two. Um, but let's come back and and uh, uh, another point. Let's let's talk about how how coaches can help foster independence within their students, but then also how um, participants can can go away and do some work for themselves to to help with that generation of independence. So there you go. It's a it's official. We're doing a part. That, well, that sounds great. But I mean, if I was you, I would have waited for the analytics on the podcast to come in first. You know, <laughs> see. Well, I'm not. I'm not convinced anyone but me is interested in this. But uh, I'm. Yeah. I'm sure you know we've got we've got a um, we've got some some farm somewhere that's that's ranking up numbers for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's costing yeah. us millions, but Brilliant. it looks great. Um, no, I'm sure people at home will 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 find the sort of things we've talked about tonight super interesting. Um, yeah, and and do people also oh, do, do people tend to um, comment on our controversial points um as yet we've had very few people comment uh, you know we've had conversations you know with with folk that you bump into but um yeah there's been no um there's been no direct comments but feel free you you have the freedom listeners to to comment and to get in touch and to um you know let us know what your thoughts are on on some of the stuff we've discussed tonight so there you go. There's another open invitation. Oh, it's a tonight of first, isn't it? Um, Chris, thanks a lot for your time tonight. And um, I believe you're off sea kayaking in the morning. You're off up to Scotland. Yeah, gonna gonna head up to Sky tomorrow and, and um, make the most of the last of the the holidays before school starts again. So, yeah, yeah, the the joys of being a teacher. Yeah, it it it's great. I mean, it's it's hard the fight is real i mean when when teachers talk about it being hard it really is um but it's also great it's, it's great in many ways i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have a go i'm not gonna have a go um great thanks a lot for your contributions tonight chris nick as always loving loving what you've got to contribute as well um and that's it so we'll we'll see you in a few weeks for for part two chris If you've enjoyed the show, why not take a look at our Essential Members program? For only £3.60 a month, you get exclusive access to a huge range of videos, 
articles and webinars covering technical skills, leadership principles and coaching issues from the world of paddle sports with many topics easily transferred to other adventure sports. We think it's amazing value, so come and check it out. Remember, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Until next time, have fun and stay safe.